you find yourself in a remote, mysterious location. Something strange and threatening is going on around you. You're surrounded everywhere by shambling, non-human creatures. Perhaps the results of evil science run amok, or perhaps coming from the dark recesses of your own subconscious. Whatever the case, you're fighting for your life. As you look around, you notice that your story is being told through fixed camera angles. When you try to run, you find that movement is difficult, clumsy, tank-like if you will. And when you speak, the lines that come out of your mouth are stilted like a bad actor in a late-night B-movie. But the truth is, you are not in a horror film, you're in a late-90s survival horror game. You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, the podcast that asks, why do people believe weird things? I'm Kean, and I'm recording from my isolation at the cabin in the woods. My own ideas about horror and the weird in general were very influenced by the early survival horror games of the late 90s and early noughties, and I'm certain I'm not the only one. There are many obvious flaws somehow lending these PS1 era games an otherworldliness that added to their spooky, unsettling tone. Joining me on this deep dive into video game nostalgia is old friend slash new friend of the show, Mr. Ao Kahan, a man who knows when he's eaten a Jill sandwich, and a master of unlocking the secrets of the mysterious pull these games still exert. This is Wide Atlantic Weird, this episode, Restless Dreams, 90s Survival Horror Nostalgia. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. Of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. I've always been a horror fan, so and sci-fi as well. So when I was younger and I discovered there were games that were supposed to be scary, you know, that was they, they kind of have a special place, I guess, in my in my formations of ideas about horror and, and things that are scary. But you're definitely a yeah. proper gamer, and I, I think you'll have played all of these, most of them more than I did. You probably finished most of them, did you? Um, I, I guess it depends. I, I'm, I definitely finished uh, kind of the core games. Um, you know, if, if you can say, oh, well, these are core kind of 90s horror video game franchises. Oh, we def- then, I definitely will be doing that. I have got a whole list. <laughs> <laughs> so I... Um, I, I like didn't get very far in a lot of these games so they live on in my memory as um this kind of like spooky unsettling experiences that were laced with mystery and wonder because precisely because I wasn't good at them and I often didn't get too far into them so <laughs> yeah I, I think that was a, a big problem in, in a lot of the early games that um there was this air of mystery and they always had it felt obliged to explain it by the end so you yeah. know it, it, it kind of ruined the fun um uh, and you know it was always something like uh bio outbreak or um the was alone in the dark too was um some aliens or or like um ancient burial ground or some combination of the two well the the unknown is always the scariest thing and you know, as soon as they feel, they always feel the urge to explain it and it's never as good. So a lot of these games have a really powerful first act when you're wandering around in some, 
you know, um, scary environment and mysterious things are happening and there isn't yet an explanation. And, and very few of them survive the explanation in the second part and continue to be memorable. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and on top of that, too, I suppose from a, a gaming perspective, um, you always start off with, you know, a knife or a pistol or something. Um, and, you know, it, it takes most of your clip to, to put down the, the basic first enemy. Yeah. Um, so you're you feel weak and, and powerless and, and running is, is your best um defense um but you know power creep by the end you're you're toting around rocket launchers so it's a um, it's a dissonance isn't it because on the one hand it's trying to be scary so it needs you yeah. to be underpowered but on the other hand it's a game you have to be able to progress you have the, you, the player has to feel like they're getting somewhere and therefore the more yeah. powered the player is, empowered the player is the less scary it is unless you unless you tread that line very well yeah, yeah, and I, I think um, you know, as gaming has matured, you you will find better examples of that. Um, like it's probably uh, too new to, to be considered, but uh, Resident Evil Seven is all first person, and um, it, it, there are kind of aspects of it where um, it's like, well, okay, you know, these guys aren't scary anymore, um, but there are some extremely claustrophobic scenes in it. Um, is that the one in the were... in the Louisiana mansion with the family? That's the one. I have yeah. I have played that one. That's one of the very few contemporary horror games I have played, and it it, it scared the hell out of me. That's that's the first it's time very... in a very long time that I felt some of that kind of thrill that I felt in the early days playing the first Resident Evil. Well, you know, it's it's because of the success of that that um, uh, Capcom went back and, and said, "All right, we're going to we're going to remake the classics, and we're going to right. you know." from the ground up let's let's make them scary um so a complete about turn from the the re4 and 5 like turn them into action games to try and compete with the triple a titles that were big at, at that time i think i think 4 holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts because it was it was campy and it was actiony but it, that's it the one had a, in in spain isn't it with the las plagas yeah yes yeah yeah that's that's it that's it exactly um so it was more action orientated, um, over the shoulder um, view. Got rid of the tank controls. Well, kind of. Oh, I love tank there. controls. <laughs> I played it recently, and it's still a little bit tanky. But um, yeah, it, they they you know kind of revamped it. But then they uh, the lesson that they learned from that, which is obviously the wrong lesson, was oh people are looking for more of an action game. So five and six then um, were very much floundering in the action kind of era. Um, and yeah, by, by six, the series is practically dead. So, uh, you know, then they, they decided, so let's try something new. Seven came out and, and was a success. So they said, right, we're going to, we're going to keep doing this now till, till we fail again. It, it really had a, it had an incredible atmosphere and I've been reading about it. Opin- opinions do seem to be mixed. Some people really, really do hate it, but it just did a few key things right. You know, it nailed the the feeling of of isolation and atmosphere and the kind of brooding malevolence all around you and feeling like you were trapped, like you said, claustrophobic. That game really yeah, felt like the, the first game did. Game. You're yeah. trapped in this like horrible place. You genuinely do want to get out, and the the enemies are are scary. Um, once again, so I think we yeah. bet we better briefly give some kind of definition here because everybody might have their own take on this but you know lots of different styles of games 
have included horror elements, but what makes something survival horror? Are, are there any key aspects for you that make or break it? Um, well, I, I suppose the, a big one would be, uh, you know, a scarcity of resources. So yeah. be it healing items or, or um, weapons or bullets or, or what have you. Um, it's it's taken a step further in, in recent um, uh, years where, where you'll have a, you know, a survival horror game where you're, you know, in a, an abandoned town and it's open world and you have to scavenge food and, and water and you have to rest and, and, you know, just adding extra layers to it. But it's it's always down to scarcity. And it, it can, the, the fighting can never be a formality. You, you, you should never have so much ammo or weapons that it's it's easy and you're taking care of the, the enemies, you know, without a, a second thought. It should always be a feeling like you are underpowered slightly or you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, to a point, to always, a point. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think you, you'll find as you as you get into it, the, the the enemies that you were facing at the start, which you will still they'll still pepper them if, if it's well designed, they'll still pepper them in later on. So, like a, I suppose a good example is in um, the first Resident Evil, you you, you deal with the um, the normal zombies. Um, I, I suppose in the case of Rebirth, which was the remake of it on the um, the GameCube. Oh, that, that was I excellent have, with the crimson heads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I have no recollection really of of the original original one, but um, but I played the the hell out of um, Rebirth, and uh, so yeah, you, you start off with the normal zombies, and you know they're difficult, but then later on you're dealing with crimson heads, and, and then every now and then you'll, you'll run into a normal zombie, and they'll just be that much easier to deal with. So it, it gives you a sense of progression, um, you know. Oh, these guys! I, I can handle these guys easily. Um, I've, I've developed beyond them now. I, you know, I'm superior to them. Um, so that there is that, um, I suppose, sense of power or achievement um, that kind of goes against the whole. Um, you're always uh, every every fight is difficult. Sure. You, you potentially have these two influences rubbing against each other that are not always in agreement, I suppose, because you you want the player to be scared, but it, it's still a, it's a it's a horror story on the one side, but it's it's still a game where progression yeah. is is expected and, and necessary. Yeah. But in a completely different yeah. manner than like an action game, you know, where the player is supposed to it's a bit of a fantasy thing where the player is supposed to feel powerful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, although um, I, I suppose you see some games coming out now. Um, I, I suppose it was a few years ago, um, but like Amnesia would be a classic example of one where you never get a weapon and you're constantly running, and um, you're never really sure. Or, well, not never, but often you're not sure if you're actually being chased. So, what what is the plot of Amnesia, or what what is the scenario? Um, well, <laughs> you 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 wake up and you have no memory. <laughs> Um, and you're in a, you know, uh, kind of like mansion setting and uh, you wandering around the rooms looking for clues and stuff. And then you'll turn around and you feel like you saw something out of the corner of your eye, but you can't be sure you saw something. And and you'll run into that room and there'll be nothing in there. And, um, you know, next time the, it'll feel like there was something 
closer to you or you might hear breathing or footsteps um, and you are being chased by some kind of nightmare creature but um it the the only um defense you have is the sprint button basically you you run away and you hide and you wait for it to leave and then you can escape um you never get a sense of empowerment from it sounds a bit like alien isolation maybe yeah yeah um i i I never actually played alien isolation but i I believe it's similar um i think you you do get a couple of um like deterrence um in alien isolation right maybe i don't know i've just just read that again off topic anyway yeah no it's all good um I tell you what, we'll we'll talk about RE one because it, for me that's the the breakthrough, right? We, there there were some precursor games that we can mention, but Re- Resident Evil one comes out on the PlayStation one in 1996, I think, and this is most people's first introduction to survival horror as a concept. You say, you say you don't really have strong memories of the original, but I did play the first one on the PS2, not in 1996, or sorry, on the PS1, probably just a few, yeah. few years later. But, I, you know, it was early on enough that it was very effective for me. I remember, like, the Spencer Mansion to me is one of the classic horror movie locations, you know? And even though, yeah, the acting is, like, famously janky and, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> graphically it's it's showing its age um it's just such a classic scenario i absolutely love the idea that this is basically the kind of weird off-kilter horror film that you might find on you know when we were kids you'd find it on tv3 or tg car in the you know at one in the morning or something where they, they'd show the weird stuff it's just it just all feels slightly off so i love the mansion um i love the setup it's it's like a traditional spooky haunted house but with bioweapons instead of ghosts you know that's that's great i love it and the zombies are just to me they're sort of like classic it's like the classic iteration of zombies i was into zombies for years probably primarily because of that game so i have strong memories of and i wasn't very good at it so i have strong memories of being trapped in that mansion you know (laughs) which is a maze and but it's so well it's so well constructed the the level design is amazing so you'd spend ages finding your way around the house and finding all these new areas and then you'd open a door and realize you'd come in a full circle back to a place you did know before but now you could access a door that you couldn't originally so it's all, there's all this backtracking stuff but it's never it's never boring yeah oh, well essentially what you're doing is um if, if the game was um a linear progression you're creating shortcuts back to, to yeah. previous points it's all very clever and that's yeah, that's always a sign of a, a really well designed game. Um, and the, the atmosphere is just incredible. Even the uh, like, even the really awful FMV sequence at the beginning <laughs> made a big impression <laughs> on me. Where they, you know, no, I do. Re- I, I have a memory of that. Um, 
I didn't own it, but I, I knew someone who did own a, a PS1, which was a big deal at the time. And um, and they had Resident Evil 1. Uh, and I played it once. Um, the, the first thing I asked was, well, what happens if we go back outside? Oh, yeah. And of course, if you, if you try and open the door, the dogs run in. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if I recall, there's, the start. there's a really awful FMV shot of a really ropey CGI dog head poking around the door or something like that. And uh, does one act, do they actually come into the hall? I can't remember that. They, I think, I think you open it once and you get the FMV and then you open it. If you try again, they come in. Right. And, um, and then after that, if you try again, it says, um, oh, best not to, to let any more dogs in or <laughs> something like that. Stuff that game did that, you know, is overdone now, but it's stuff that it, it's inspiration it took from horror films, like the, the fixed camera angles and the, the, the jump scares, the, you know, the, the what would you call it, um, scripted sequences, like when you're coming down the hall and the dog jumps out the window. You know, they, oh, yeah. they seem like small things now, but that was hugely impactful at the time. I remember like absolutely shitting a brick when that happens or in, in RE2 when the, the hands come through the the boarded up window. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> it's it's almost impossible to convey now how how impressive that was. <laughs> that uh that brings back a memory actually. Um uh, it was actually I was playing with you and uh we were playing Resident Evil Code Veronica. Oh, I love Code Veronica. More, it was one of the more janky ones, but it was oh, I it love was it. good. Um, it was you. You end up flying to the Antarctic at some point, or, or the Arctic. I'm not sure. Oh, I never and, made it that far. <laughs> no, well, uh, maybe I was playing and, and you were watching. But uh, you you get to a part where there's like a, a bunch of lockers, and at the back there's one locker, and it, it rustles. Oh, it's it's thumping or something as you walk down the. Oh, oh. And as as you walk towards it, the camera actually zooms in behind you Whoa. on it. Um, like like really subtly, and uh, and then as you get to it, it is it a cat? Open. Is it a cat? It's a it's a penguin. <laughs> oh, really, that happens in the Alien vs Predator film. The, yeah, like they 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 queue up a jump scare, and then you know you know the way they often it'll be a cat in movies, whereas in yeah, that film yeah. it's a penguin because again they're in the. Yeah, just to return to RE one for a moment, like that yeah. was definitely the game changer, and it did a lot of key things right it got a lot of things that i still i still really like um straight out of the gate uh, the, and, and there's so much th- there are so many things about it that are iconic and memorable the the pre-rendered backgrounds are were amazing and the a lot of things that were d- due to limited technology at the time actually added oh, to it i think and made it feel doors. yeah yeah the doors like obviously that was like to do with the way the PS1 couldn't load things properly, you know, very quickly, but it became so iconic and it actually heightened the tension and the the tank controls, which, you know, people ragged on then and now, uh, that was a function of the fact that you, you with, with the fixed camera angles, which was, again, a very film-like device, well, that was used very cleverly to heighten tension as well. You know the scene where you come into the room with the, with the, the crows up and the camera's up high looking down at you and the crows are right up next to the camera? That was... A really great use of it but like it's very difficult to use standard stick controls f- when the camera angles are changing like that and other games that have tried that over the years have ha- have not always done it very well i think yeah oh well i mean 
it's it's very difficult to to do it well enough that um it, it it'll scare people but also not frustrate them if you get me yeah again it's a fine line like i say all these things added to the game in a certain way and they made it more frustrating and therefore a little bit scarier maybe more tense especially with like the saving and stuff like that with the, the ink oh, yeah, ribbons yeah. and you know if you only had a certain number <laughs> yeah and you you could only store a certain amount of things god the the amount of thinking you had to do about your inventory tracking you had to do for inventory reasons that was crazy as well and and you now still had a storage box but now the magic storage boxes that <laughs> can cut through space and time <laughs> yeah like nobody would think twice about put putting something like that in a game now because they're like well yeah of course you can save anywhere and of course you can hold as much stuff as you want but you know it, it added something to it for sure didn't it even if it's just yeah. a nostalgic thing so it was the first game to ever do it but it's it's up there with the you know exploding barrels from doom oh yeah um i i there's a website i used to look at that had a joke about um barrels and crates and video games and they had this picture of um like these plastic uh like like action figures but they were toy barrels and it said todd, todd mcfarlane's heroes of video games series <laughs> <laughs> they had the exploding doom barrels <laughs> like as an action figure <laughs> brilliant uh, oh. also the music in RE1 like it's clearly being played by some Japanese guy on a keyboard with like fake strings but it's it's so spooky and, and off-putting like off-kilter again late night cheap B-movie stuff but I, I, I love all that it really adds a lot I... for me I have I, I find that um particularly with Japanese games um the the music the um uh, you know it doesn't even need to be a scary game um they they always knock it out of the park with the music so there there are precursors to Resident Evil like that you'll always read about I don't know if you've ever seen them or played them have you ever played like Sweet Home or you mentioned Alone in the Dark too that's also often considered to have been like an ancestor Sweet Home? No, I've I've never played that. So I did have Alone in the Dark 1 on the Mac at some point, but it was really... I don't know, I I, I hated the controls and I never really even got out of the first room, so I don't know much about it. (laughs) But you can see some of the DNA of RE1 in there. It's got the the painted backgrounds with the fixed angles and then the polygon figures that move on top of them. Let's talk about RE2. Do you have memories of that? 
I, I think I only played through once. Um, it was Leon A side, Claire B side. Oh, because it and you could do it both, and it Matt, it was different depending on who went first. Is that correct? Yeah, no, there wasn't that many differences, and uh, you'd often end up, you know, like let's say you play as Leon and you solve a puzzle and open a door, but then when you're going back as Claire, it's still magically closed, so (laughs) you have to, you know, solve the puzzle yourself. But then other other things were already done for you, or like certain, like Mm, (laughs) not really. I I don't really understand the the reason for having the the A and B side. Um, I like I, maybe if I had played Clary Leon B, it would make more sense. But um, yeah, it, it just it seemed like a a loose tie-in because you 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 know if you're playing Leon, you meet Claire at a couple of different beats during the story, um, and uh, like you know you, you're like mm, okay, <laughs> well what was she doing in, in the in-between time? Yeah, their um, characters are constantly like coming in for a scene and then being like, okay, I have to go now. And you're like, it's, yeah. a, it's a zombie-infested <laughs> city. Where do, you, where, where do you have to go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And actually, in, in Resident Evil 2, um, one of the characters to help um, Leon is Ada Wong. And you, you're you thinking to yourself... Um, Oh, that the name sounds familiar. Where do I know that from? In in Resident Evil, uh, down in the lab, um, you know, like right at the end, uh, one of the scientists uh, put the password on something. Uh, his girlfriend's name, which is Ada Wong. Well, is that so, in the original or in Rebirth? That's in Rebirth. I'm not sure if it's in the original or so not. So it's it's a it's a retcon, probably. A bit, Could be. bit of an Easter egg for fans. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, and then, you know, Ada Wong gets the, her whole own story going on after that. So. That's right. Uh, well, RE2, I want, it does the classic sequel thing of, like, let's make this bigger, let's make it more intense. And so they go from an adventure that happens in a single mansion to one that happens in, in a whole, whole city, Ra- Raccoon City, which is the <laughs> Japanese hilarious attempt to, like, hmm, what would an American Midwest town be called? <laughs> Raccoon City. <laughs> Um, but you know what I, I we said earlier that you know in order to be scary it's often better to keep things mysterious and that's absolutely true and i do love the first half of these games where where you don't always know what's going on and everything is weird and spooky and mysterious and unexplained but i still i have a i have a love for re lore and resident evil 2 really cranks up the lore there's so much to know the history of umbrella and the history of the t-virus i love all that stuff and their secret underground facility, the Hive. That never have bathrooms. Now, is it called the Hive in the games, or is that just from the film? I think it's uh, only from the film, question. you know. I think it's from the film. I I would have to check that. I have a feeling it is called the Hive. I could be um, wrong. It's been years it, since I've it, played all of these through, but I do remember bits and pieces of them. It might be in um, a different... The Hive might be a different um, Resident Evil... <laughs> You know, it might be uh, the the secret lab in a different one, what? What? and yeah, because everything in the movies they just kind of blended together and and kind of turned out. But ah, they they were good fun as well. I really loved the movies. We'll, we'll get to that. So, what do you think of the <laughs> the, the police station in RE two as as an iconic location? Uh, I I think it is very good. Um, I think the it, it's kind of 
coincidental that it's an old, it used to be a, a museum <laughs> and and therefore it's full of all the yeah. weird kind of knick-knacky um, puzzles that, that yeah. the mansion also had. <laughs> like you, you don't question that quite so much in a spooky old mansion built by an eccentric architect. But in a yeah. police station, some surely some like <laughs> boss at Konami was to walk past me like, I, I don't know, lads. Like, <laughs> why, why would a, why would you need to? Why would a police station have like a giant statue in the middle of a foyer? And why would you need to like be putting these like ancient crests into holes in the wall? Uh, you know, maybe it was a museum before it was a police station. <laughs> we haven't mentioned Wesker. So uh, years ago, oh, when you and I were going through either uh, like our original RE fixation or maybe a later, I can't remember, but probably about two thousand two or three. There was this document we used to read online that we also always refer to as the the RE thesis. And it was basically, yeah. I mean, in, in, in the days before YouTube and easy access to information, you know, it was great that somebody had basically put all the lore into and in pretty much uh, walkthroughs, if I, if I remember correctly, and put them all into one document. That was, I think up until that time, it was RE123 and Code Veronica. Was it further? Was One, it more? two, three, Code Veronica. He had all the, all the little um, offshoot games as well. There was oh, yeah, one that yeah. that took place on a boat um, that I never played. I think it might have been on like Game Boy. Was or a Game something. Boy game? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I just ended up reading the the like walkthrough and, uh, to like, get the story. You know what? Us. I said this was before you could like you know there was an, a whole cottage industry of people making YouTube videos about you know, lore for everything. But this was even before Wikipedia. So like to, to get all the plots together in one place by somebody who played through them all and, and, you know, tidied up all the loose ends and written it down for you. That was huge, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was like you're saying, it was, it was uh, an RE Bible. But the, one of the best things was obviously the games, even then the series was so sprawling that there were lots of things that didn't add up or didn't make sense. So he would... <laughs> He would always say, so well, this doesn't make sense. So he would always, yeah, he'd always say like, what really happened here? Was it A, B or Wesker did it? And the answer was always Wesker did it because Albert Wesker is, is one of the main villains of the early games. And he's like hilariously over the top evil. He might as well be twirling a mustache and going, <laughs> I'm in with Umbrella. <laughs> Although I'm thinking of the guy from, I'm making him sound more like, oh. Yeah, yeah, the, the guy from Code Veronica. Yeah, the blonde guy from Code Veronica, <laughs> who has like an effeminate, you know, posh British accent and pretty much does twirl a mustache. <laughs> um, and then dresses up as his twin sister. That's right, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. I have a special place for... Uh, it, it's, it's clear that RE1 is like game-changing. RE2 is probably the best game in the series in terms of what's in it but i have a special place in my heart for nemesis and code veronica they're the only ones i actually finished (laughs) stars stars nemesis my understanding is it was going to be sort of like an in-between game it was like re 2.5 and that's why like they reuse a lot of the same locations and i think is it is it set one day or like more or less at the same time as re2 maybe a day different it is. They're, they're set at the same time. Um, I'm, I, I'm not sure. There's a very, very small um, time difference because it, the, the outbreak in Raccoon City has just happened. Um, so it's a little bit earlier than RE2, probably. 
Uh, well, no, because RE2 is is supposed to be just as the outbreak is happening. Because um, at, at the end of RE2, don't they nuke the city? No, that's the end of Nemesis. I watched. I watched. <laughs> I watched it recently. Or or is it the the end of uh, both of them? <laughs> well, maybe yeah, because I never finished two. <laughs> In a scene taken straight from Return of the Living Dead, if you want to look at it that way. So Ari uh, yeah. Ari two is is it Chris Chris uh, Redfield? No, it's it's no, his no. sister. Yeah, Claire Redfield. Claire, and Claire Leon Redfield. Kennedy. And Leon, that's right. And then in RE3, Nemesis, it's... Jill Valentine. Jill again, yeah, that's right. Yeah, from um, the first one. Um, so you've been playing the remakes of all these, have you? Uh, I've, I've just started the remake of two. Um, do, do they still do the, like, Chris Redfield? Do they still do the voices <laughs> when you, oh, when you wait, select on, them? On the character select? Yeah. Um, no. I don't think so. Chris Redfield. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, you you would hit start then, and it would go Resident Evil. You know the voice actor. Yeah, the the two. He waited a good long time, and you're kind of like, is he going to say it? Two. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe they're just saying Resident Evil like the you know, the, whole the crummy voice oh, no, acting. The the, for me, at least, the the voice acting it actually added to that kind of cheesy horror movie thing. You know, yeah, especially in yeah, RE one, all the famous lines: Jill Sandwich, uh, Master of Unlocking. Let's get You're those. The master of unlocking. <laughs> get those out of the way. <laughs> uh, isn't there a bit early on where, like, uh, he says, "This place isn't safe." <laughs> you know, it's like no shit. <laughs> like everybody's been eaten by zombies. <laughs> Wes Wesker says something like. Chris, why don't you go check that out? <laughs> Twirls mustache. <laughs> but like, doesn't Wesker like he gets kind of more and more ridiculous as the games go on, and like the the sort of they hint, don't they, that he's been changed genetically, and he's some kind of um, no spoilers, I hope, but he's some kind of project as well. And and therefore, as the games go by and crazier and crazier things happen, the guy who wrote the thesis just keeps saying, well, I don't know, maybe Wesker did it. <laughs> Whenever something inexplicable happens. Yeah. Yeah. By by the time he gets to um, Code Veronica, the, the FAQ at the end of that one's like, um, so if there is this super powerful virus that turns you into a superhuman without turning you into a monster... Um, why why did Wesker wait so long to to go there and get it? Um and why did he even need it if he had one that would um bring him back to life stronger when he dies, which is what happens at the end of Resident Evil. He he gets attacked by the tyrant, I think, and and you, you find his body afterwards. He's dead and you leave. But um I don't know if you can go back in and find that the body's gone or something. Um, you know, hinting that he came back to life as a zombie or whatever. But um, yeah, the, the the lore is that he developed his own virus with uh, with Birkin, <laughs> who develops the G virus. And um, so Birkin and is he, the guy. He's the scientist in RE two who turns into yeah. the creature with the big giant eye in his chest. Yeah, right. Yeah, he. He is the, I suppose, G, um, compared to the T virus making the tyrant. Is he the only? Uh, is that the only thing the G virus does? 
is um, when he takes it. Yeah, it, it it makes a much bigger version of the ty- of of the tyrant, a, a, a stronger tyrant essentially. So how um, how does the T virus behave differently in different hosts? Like how come it turns most people into zombies, but then sometimes it does other things? Um, no, all it does is turn people into zombies. Um, the 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 uh, explanation for the other stuff is Westbrook did it. Um, <laughs> but where do the no, actual it, tyrants come from? Are they they have to be oh, made well, in a lab? Do they? That's different. Yeah, the the tyrants are made in a lab. The hunters are made in a lab. Um, I'm not sure what the story with the liquors is. I presume they're made in the lab. Um, Plant Forty Two is made in the lab. Basically, you know. Okay, so the T virus actually only does mostly the zombies. Yeah, but that's um, a uh, what would you call it? They they accidentally released it, and you know a bunch of rats get it and spread it everywhere because Raccoon City and the mansion are infested with rats right. um, who seem to be immune, but they they still bring the plague with them everywhere and turn everyone into zombies. Well, you know, as a as a scientist, that's totally possible. Just putting it out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do oh, I I so Code Veronica right in two thousand one I guess maybe thereabout, uh, it came out on the Dreamcast first and I played it on the when it, it did eventually get a release on the PS two and that's where I played oh, it. Oh, that's right because I've I've only ever played Code Veronica X, which is when it came out on the PS two. That's what I had, and I really loved it. I really loved it, and I got really far into it. And I, I feel like I spent days and days and days on it. And I got up to that bit where you get onto the plane to go to the poles. Oh, God. And a <laughs> bloody tyrant gets on the plane with you. And I just, I couldn't. I must I must not have had enough, like, weapons or something. That was it. I couldn't get past that bit. And I, I remember the first time playing that bit, um, not being equipped for it. And... There's nothing uh, you can do. On... You have to, like, go back and open a, a saved file from earlier. And if you don't have one, you're finished. I, I think there was a way to beat him. You you had to basically run around without getting hit, and then um, a, a box would become available for you to like dump off the plane, and you. But, but you, didn't you, you know, fight him by throwing boxes at him to try and shove him back onto the platform until he fell off or something? Yeah, but you could also just um, lace him with, um, I think it was like incendiary rounds for your crossbow or something. (laughs) There was some ridiculous weapon like that. Um, And you you lace him with those and he he would go take a knee and then the very first box that came out, you could knock him straight off then with that. Um, That that was my strategy after the first time when I hit the wall. But... um, there's so much good stuff in Code Veronica, and it, it was it's kind of forgotten, isn't it, in the history of the games? Yeah, well, because it, it was uh, a notch campier than than anything that had come before. And yeah, I think because they had moved to to a new platform. Um, yeah, you know they were trying new things, and there was something. It was full three D, wasn't it? It was full. 3D. It was. They were still using the camp, the fixed angles, but it wasn't yeah. pre rendered. Yeah, which is a weird um, halfway house, I guess, when you think about it now. But there was there was this weird disconnect between the player and the zombies, because if you struck them with um, the knife, it would kind of push them back because the the two objects couldn't 
clash or something. Um, it, it just felt really rubbery. Um, so you, you could effectively get through most of the game just slashing everything with your knife. Right. Um, which is probably why you'd be overconfident by the time you get to the tyrants in, on the on the plane. I, I, I remember there being lots of good bits in it. Uh, there, <laughs> there was the, ch- the charming relationship between Claire and that, that young fella, Steve. Oh God, he's so annoying. <laughs> and the, the melodramatic scene where he breaks down. Yeah. Talks and, about his father dying or something. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that, that was hard to watch, actually. <laughs> yeah, terrible stuff. And there is yeah. Claire. I like Claire, and she's she gets that awesome, like ridiculous, like Michael Bay action sequence at the beginning, where she's breaking into the umbrella uh, facility oh, yeah. in Paris, and like yeah, wow, they really like pulled out all the stops yeah, for that bit. She's doing like John Woo <laughs> stuff with two guns, and the helicopter comes up behind her and blows all the windows to shit, and she's like, you know, sliding around on the floor with two guns blazing. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's amazing that she's so acrobatic. And, and that's and just the opening sequence. Tank controls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, she never does anything as uh, as lithe as that again. Even yeah. though she, she's more sensibly dressed for her adventure than uh, uh, <laughs> the, the infamous uh, Nemesis outfit. Yeah, the tube top. Very, very late 90s, that. <laughs> I, think, um, I think in the FAQ, one of the questions was like... Uh, why is Jill dressed like she's going for a night out? <laughs> Maybe she was so when I, she got interrupted by the zombies. Yeah, naturally. Um, Wesper planned a party. And she was <laughs> supposed to go. And, like and we, we don't happened. really find out much about what her what she was doing. Um, it's basically, the, the intro is just, this is my last escape, which is a strange sentence, but she says it every time <laughs> you boot up the game. <laughs> Do you have uh, strong thoughts or memories about the other games before, like, Seven? Um, I don't have much four. to say about them. So four is is the where they start to become a little more action, and it's yeah. it's Leon again. Is that right? It is. It's Leon again, and he's uh, he's in Europe to save um, the American president's daughter. Very very time crisis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and this is when they but, clearly uh, were like, right, guys, we can't make another game about zombies. We have to try something different. Have you considered? Yeah. People who are infected and turn bad but aren't zombies. <laughs> uh, what, what's the difference? Well, effectively, Spanish peasants. <laughs> yeah, effectively, the difference is they can shoot you, and it's a little bit more like, I don't know, Gears of War or something. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't think they used weapons. Oh, they do. I've I've played bits of this. There's bits at the end of the game where like they're using mini guns and stuff. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it becomes yeah. no, like a total like blast fest by the end. Yeah, there are state. Oh, yeah. It's it's almost she... like well. God, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because you go to like this this um uh this island, isn't it? And it's it's like um I don't know. It just looks like a, a junkyard island, or maybe that was uh, five actually. Five is the is the one in Africa? Is it? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mo- moving swiftly along. <laughs> you, I, I feel like you have uh, you have warm, fuzzy memories of the the Resident Evil movies as well. I think we can, we can mention those briefly. Uh, yes, yeah, I really liked. Uh, They're the silly fun, one. aren't they? They are. They're they si- are that's they all are. there is. It's just it's silly. It's fun. I like Mila Jovovich. She's always good. Um, yeah. I um, 
I'm not going to go and say they're good films, but I wouldn't hold it against anyone who enjoys them as a bit of fun. Well, I, if if uh, you were to invite me over and, and give me a beer and, yeah. and sat down and watched it, yeah. I would. Uh, no harm done. I would happily do that. Yeah, watch it again. Um, the first one, I think, tried to take itself very seriously. Um, but after that, then they they started playing around with. with different things because i know they didn't try um, very hard to stick to the game in the first one right because they they have the basic premise is like there is a mansion and there are zombies and there is a t-virus and there is an umbrella but then they change the main character and most of the time is like in this underground facility they barely they pretty much ignore the mansion don't they um i mean they spend a little bit of time in the mansion but then they go to the underground facility which is the hive and the the ending of um, Resident Evil Two, the game, it, you you escape from the underground facility um, on a train, and the ending of the first Resident Evil movie is you're on a train, and uh, except the the train is being attacked by a liquor, I think it was, um, and I, I don't even know if there was a tyrant in, in that movie, which was a real letdown. <laughs> And then the second movie is basically RE2 and 3 kind of together. Because yeah, they meet Jill, don't they? Three. They they meet Jill. Is, is there a Claire character? Meet... No. It's just no. Alice, isn't it? Because Mila's oh. character is Alice, who is they not bring... in the games. And then they meet Jill in the tube top, yeah. which they, they went to great lengths to replicate, as I recall. <laughs> it was. It was very... Um, very authentic. Very authentic. <laughs> They, um, they brought um, Carlos and, and Nikolai oh, back into yeah. it. Except if, instead of betraying everyone and being a bad guy, Nikolai sacrifices himself to to save the team. <laughs> as as ethnic characters are known to do in uh, American action films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only other um, one I I definitely saw the one of the later films where they're in like a some kind of post apocalyptic Las Vegas, and I saw that in the cinema. Oh, the the Mad Max one. Is that Extinction? Yeah. I, um, is it called Extinction? There's so... Do you, how many of those films are there? There are a lot. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't even know if I've seen them all. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, they they eventually introduce a Claire Redfield character. Do they? Yeah. It's funny. It's like they... It might be Extinction. Really? Oh, after... No, the third one is Annihilation. After the second film, they're so skewed off in their own timeline that has got nothing to do with the games. I, I, why would they even bother at that point? You know. Uh, well, they they tried to to bring it back. Um, they there is a Wesker who sh- a character who shows up at the end of Extinction. Yeah, like they and... show they show that after the world ends, <laughs> just something that never happened in the games, like the remnants of whoever's left running umbrella is like in this kind of underground bunker and they show yeah. that one of them is wesker and he's got um a billion clones of alice oh yeah yeah and i don't know do they fight a, a nemesis or a g or something um but they uh, all of the the alices wake up and they all fight it together and and then they decided for the next film, right, we went a little bit too far this time. So the very start of the next film is Alice chasing down Wesker. And um, 
and they they like make a distinction between all of the the Peon Alice's and the Alice Prime, um, <laughs> yeah. because all all the peons run into his secret underground base, which is extremely heavily fortified, considering he was hiding under a, a cabin in the previous movie, and um, and yeah, they they all attack and they just get mowed down um, until there's only Alice Prime left, and and you know right at the the last minute before she she kills Wesker, he injects her with something and it completely removes all of her superpowers. <laughs> I, uh, I kind of want to go back and watch those again and just bone <laughs> up on the like there's the regular RE lore and then there's the like movie universe lore that's oh yeah if any, it's, if, it's if possible even sillier <laughs> yeah Oh, just it to jump really back is. to Code Veronica for a minute I love how much it expands on the background of the of the T-virus and instead of like no, it wasn't just William Burke and it was like also all these other people. And the guy who wrote the thesis is like trying really hard to be like, so this guy and this guy came up with this thing. And then this guy came up with this thing. And then together, some other guy put it all together. And then the T-virus happened because there's all this stuff. And about then Wesker the, joined the team. The, the ant colony. Do you remember that? With the the yeah. Ashfords? Is that right? Is that the name of the film? Oh, it is. It's the Ashfords. Yeah. There's that one scene and- where you're coming out of like a tunnel and you see his house up on a hill. And he lives in this spooky mansion and it's brilliant. It's like really gothic and atmospheric. I really like, I really like that game. Yeah. Oh, I, I think between kind of camera work and, and just they, they, they were really trying to, to recapture um, the, the lightning in a bottle that was Resident Evil 1. With while doing, yeah, and, and while doing quite different new things as well. Yeah. Right. We should change gears slightly. So, uh, anyone who was around in those days, and and we're, I guess we're talking about the the early history of survival horror and bit of a bit of a nostalgic lens, I suppose. The other great um, threat to the crown would have been Silent Hill.
So in those days, you know, magazine articles, as that's where you read about it at the time, would have been talking about, well, there's these two approaches to this new genre and Resident Evil was like the kind of blunter instrument version of it with with, with gory and biohazard, you know, uh, lots of bioweapons. And, and then Silent Hill was like the more psychological take on it. Yeah. Did you play this uh, at the time? I I'd only ever played uh, Silent Hill 2. And I didn't play that till, um, I, it was probably out a long time by the time I played it. Uh, say it was maybe 16. Well, um, I, I had Silent Hill 1, or at least I played the beginning of it when I was much younger because it came as a demo with lots of other games, as I recall. Do you remember the old PS1, oh, the Black I remember the, black the demo. And yeah. With the demo. So in the demo, you are this fellow called Harry and you are you show up as a mysterious midwestern town and you're looking for your daughter you get into a car crash and then you're, you're like chasing her around this spooky fog shrouded mysterious town and it's it's like so little happens at the beginning but it's utterly yeah. terrifying the town looks really eerie and deserted and and the atmosphere is tremendous and then there's the sirens going off and there's the static from the radio whenever the creatures come by and, yeah, and then when you start to meet people, you know, he meets the police lady inside in the cafe, and I remember being frustrated as a kid because, you know, if you were in this crazy situation and you met somebody else, you'd be like, "What? What's going on? Tell me what's going on." But none of them talk like normal people do, and everyone you meet is just like enigmatic and mysterious. And again, but it makes it feel like one of well, a like a Japanese thing from a radically different culture, but b like one of those slightly off kilter horror movies you catch, you know, late at night. Yeah, it's it, again. I, I never played uh, Resident Evil or um, Silent Hill One, but Silent Hill Two was was very much the same vein. Um, I don't remember who said it, but someone was saying they they were smart enough to take the most interesting thing from Silent Hill One, and that was the only thing they carried across, which was the town itself.
there's there's all sorts of like you know um, imagery and and uh, metaphors uh, drawn from aspects of the game like um the what was his name pyramid head was a, a representation of, of james's um you know uh, lust for whatever this is in, um, in, in silent hill 2 in two i don't yeah, think pyramid head about. is in the first one no no i don't think he is um i really like the I small town know. setting i mean i i've always i love small town usa it's a fascinating i think when i was a kid I had a book of, I had Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which was a Stephen King book. And I had it when I was quite young. I didn't read lots of Stephen King. I didn't know much about him, but it was a book, a really big book of short stories. And I'd say a good quarter of them were like, you know, couple driving out in the country somewhere in New England and they pull into this spooky little town and then weird things happen. So I, I really like that setup. I always have. And for me, Silent Hill, it, like the small town uh, Midwest is, is like a classic location. It's a, kind of an iconic location. The only the only thing that I I would um, be able to compare it to is in the Wicker Man, um, the original one, when he he's on the phone um, back to the mainland and, and you know he finishes up and and he looks uh, out um, at, at the oh he's the, in the harbor on top of the seaplane he looks over and he sees the guys wearing the masks ducking down behind yeah. the stone wall yeah yeah and they're like everyone's just kind of watching him. And you know he he feels like such an outsider, um, because they're also um, comfortable in this situation, and and just everything about it screams, you know, yeah. get out yeah. to him. I and, love uh, the you know once again you have technological limitations of the time, kind of accidentally creating something that really lends itself to the spookiness, and that's of course the fog, the fog which was yeah. done for you know memory reasons at the time but wow i mean that's that's what silent hill looks like silent hill is a mysterious fog shrouded town and that's part of its identity and it wouldn't be the same if it had been done differently yeah (laughs) Um, another thing about um silent hill that i thought was very good and again it might have been limitations or it might have been on purpose but the combat controls were extremely janky and um Again, Resident Evil or uh, Silent Hill Two, James handles very, very badly. Uh, but you know, he's he's not a fighter. He's, he's just a dad looking for his family. Uh, I think it's his daughter he's after. Um, and you know, the uh, when when he comes across an adversary, it's almost always a a difficult fight um, because he is not um, equipped physically to handle it and again it might have just been the controls but it uh, it could also have been done intentionally and the music is tremendous in, in both games as well yeah really unsettling stuff really kind of odd very especially in the first one very late 90s sort of almost techno at times with this atmospheric keyboard stuff as well I think you lent me Silent Hill 2 on the PS2 years ago, but I made my way into it a little bit and then I think the the, the machine broke down or something or whoever we had lent the PS2 from took it back. can't remember, but I had to stop playing it for some reason. But it is considered to be a bit of an all-time classic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it it's an interesting one because there are 
I don't know how many, but multiple endings um, based on decisions you make during the game. And I never um, got to grips with exactly what kind of choices affected what things. But uh, I, I, I found it very interesting because, um, you know, there, there's the goofy endings and then there's the, the um, kind of terrible endings. Um, I'm not really sure what choices you have to make um, in order for James to have a good ending. You never got one yourself, no? No. <laughs> oh, well, I, I suppose it depends. Um, I got an ending where I killed Pyramid Head and, um, you know, escaped. So, Are you familiar with any of the later games in the franchise? Uh, I'm only aware of... I, I know they, they had a bunch of games that came out that didn't do particularly well. And then they were, there was a, a plan to get Konami... Um, what's his name? Hideo Kojima to to do a, a, a Silent Hill and he made a, a play test um, colloquially called PT. I've heard which, of this, yeah. Yeah, so PT, you cannot download it anymore because... Why um, is it called Konami PT? Play test, oh, right, I okay. think. And was, was this um, just him like going off his own... No, no, this, this was, was official. Um, yeah, uh, well, I believe it was official. It was going to be uh, the then, next Silent Hill game. Yeah, but then they had a falling out and they fired him or he left. But it ended badly anyway, so it never came out. But they removed the demo. So, you know, unless you can find a PS4 or PS3, um, I can't remember which one it came out on, that has that installed on it, um, you'll never be able to play it. Uh, yeah, people rave is that, rave about it. Is that the one where you're going down this endless corridor? Um, it's it's like a dream sequence in your own house, um, where you know there are endless corridors and there's kind of you go from the kitchen into you know the back kitchen in, back into the kitchen and you know it just seems to loop around and and then you the phone starts ringing and there's no one on the line and you hear knocks on the door and on the window and things like that uh, it's supposed to be absolutely fantastic okay well i have a question for you now and and this this is a safe space so <laughs> you can, you can <laughs> feel, feel free to answer truthfully but do you rate the 2006 silent hill movie <laughs> I I actually enjoyed that. I actually do as well. I watched it. I watched it this week, and it's it's got it's got problems. You know, I yeah. I would only very cautiously go to bat for it, but it got it's got things <laughs> going for it. I feel I feel as though a, a good fan edit could could do a lot of justice to it. There's yeah, some, There's some issues with timing and pacing, and there's some particularly stuff particularly at the start. Yeah, you could probably take a lot of stuff out. I find the cult very annoying. And I think just trimming some of their dialogue and stuff and making it more mysterious, you know, yeah. and, and, and there's there's that bit with the where the girl explains everything for like 10 minutes straight at the end. <laughs> <laughs> like, surely they could have done that more, more subtly, but it has a lot going for it. I really like the look of the town. I like I like the, the fog and the ash. I, I like have a, I have a great memory from watching that. Um I I don't remember where we were, but, we, you know, it was, it was kind of a group gathering and um, 
Donal had convinced them we're, we're going to watch the Silent Hill movie, which I had just bought. And uh, we put it on, we were watching it and, you know, having a, a drink or, or whatever. And uh, uh, it, it, it was, you know, pretty terrible and people were dropping off. And there was a point where it was just myself and Donal watching it. <laughs> and, and he turned to me and said, this isn't particularly good. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very long and it, it is boring at times. And I, I just think, yeah, I just think a trim would do a lot of good for it. Right at that moment, a pyramid head picks up a, a woman <laughs> and just grabs her skin and just rips it off. <laughs> and we're both like, whoa. <laughs> well, if the director heard you. <laughs> yeah, must have. <laughs> So yeah, it's it, it's it's got problems, but there's there's potential there. There's there's like a good film inside it, screaming to get out. Yeah, yeah. Like you like can you, you can tell a... they they gave a shit. They're the opening bits. They're trying really hard to to make it faithful to the game. Sometimes yeah. to the movie's detriment. There's so much plot they're trying to get in there sometimes, um, that they could have done in a different way. All right, we'll change gears again. I don't know whether people today, uh would consider these to be heavy hitters in the in the genre but i i think to us they certainly were we're going to talk about the dino crisis games It's arguable whether or not it's horror. Um, you know, it's scary because you're being chased by, um, uh, you know, large dinosaurs a lot of the time. But, um, you know, the arguing argument could be made that dinosaurs aren't really monsters and therefore it's not horror. But I, I would definitely rank it as a survival horror game. There's I mean, no it has a lot of the same, so. a lot of the same people were making them. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. I think the intention of the first one was to be scary and to be horror. Yeah. It's a very slow-paced game. It's it's kind of... It seems like such a surefire idea. It's basically like RE, but with dinosaurs. And, like, <laughs> hell yeah, every you know every kid out there was on board with that. But it's more like... Back in the 90s, that must have seemed like a, winning, a, an easy win. Yeah, easy... It's like, oh, you like dinosaurs, do you? Do you like key cards? <laughs> do, do you like doing codes so you can break into rooms? <laughs> endlessly do, do like tedious underwater sections oh my god yeah <laughs> dr kirk remember him uh, who? the bad guy was called dr kirk dr kirk and he looks like he looks like a total manga fan you know pretty boy with, with the spiky long hair and stuff 
Uh, yeah, I just I don't I don't remember the name, but yeah, no, I remember the character. So he he discovers Kirk. something called third energy, and the third energy oh, research yeah. is what brings the dinosaurs back. No, he uses it to make um, time portals, right? Uh, something like that, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. This, that game has so much going for it. Regina is cool. Um, dinosaurs oh, are cool. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of using dinosaurs in horror is great. It, it hasn't been done very often when it, it seems like an obvious, like you said, it sounds like an obvious win. But yeah, I mean, survival horror since its early days has always been a balance between being scared and solving puzzles. That's fine. Dino Crisis 1 just gets the balance totally wrong. So yeah. Dino Crisis 2 was clearly like, fuck it. Let's just shoot like all the dinosaurs. <laughs> I had a I had a review at PS Magazine at the time that said, in the first five minutes of Dino Crisis 2, you shoot more raptors than are in the entire first game. <laughs> uh, Dino yeah, Crisis man. 2 is so much fun. It's so stupid, but it's like loads of fun. Yeah. Wasn't there... I think if you if you kept killing oh, dinosaurs, you, you got points for like how many you dinosaurs points. you killed and then you could buy more guns and bigger guns with, with your the points. points. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and I remember trying to wrap my head around like the economy of who's, that. How who's paying that you? <laughs> and the, the plot yeah. was absolutely bananas. So they they'd completely dispensed with any pretense of horror at that point. And there was this island that where third energy research was happening and it had a city on it and a facility and something else and the whole island got pulled back to like I don't know the Cretaceous or something and it was full of dinosaurs but then at the end you find out actually you're in the far future like you, you get you get no plot for hours and then in the last 20 minutes it's like oh guess what you're actually in the future and this kid is this guy's daughter but grown up because of time changing stuff Dylan, remember Dylan with his nineties um, uh, frosted tips and his like. Oh, God. He he had curtains. He had like nineties boy band curtains that were that were blonde, and then he had like his head shaved around the bottom of it, in a different yeah. color. Dylan, whoa, Gina, <laughs> this place is dangerous. <laughs> and and yet, as dumb as that game was, I really liked the atmosphere of being in this kind of weird prehistoric world where. Like there was all this kind of rotting industrial equipment, you know. It was yeah. like it was like a town, or like a, like an oil rig or some sort of industrial structure that had been sent back in time into like a swampy jungle and then left there for like a hundred years. So it was futuristic and ancient at the same time. It had a really interesting, yeah, kind of a vibe. Like, it reminded me of the Lost World, the movie. Yeah, the uh, way they're finding all this old equipment that's being swallowed up by the jungle. Yeah, and and the the town they go to at the end with the with the petrol station and the where they have they face off against the raptors. Um. In in the last world. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, because I was thinking the end of, of Dino Crisis Two. Don't they, they? They have some like really really weak foreshadowing where you you um. You, you fight a, a T-Rex and you're like, whoa, okay, that was a big deal. And, uh, and you go into this facility, I don't know, grab a key card or gas mask or something. And uh, and then you get like uh, research notes that say, oh, but we've actually found evidence of a much bigger apex predator. And, oh, yeah. um, 
we, we've, um, you know, technically named him the Gigantosaurus. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that fight with the, with the whatever he was called, the fucking the, Titanicosaurus? <laughs> yeah, um, you, you, you come with a satellite. <laughs> He's so big that you have to, like, program this satellite to fire a laser at, onto him from space. <laughs> And it makes a crater like the size of <laughs> a gigantic crater. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like in, in the final battle, you're running around on the inside of this, like on, on a raised platform, like trying to type <laughs> commands into the computer. It's like, now I need to be over here to type some more commands. Now I need to be over here. And like oh, the God. satellites going, where do you want me to shoot? <laughs> and the gigantic, like his head is as long as a bus and it's like trying to grab you when you're on the catwalk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, some game that is yeah it was brilliant really and at the very very end um, I don't know Regina says some some ridiculous statement and then like jumps into one of the time portals and um, and that's the end of it and I don't know did they make a Dino Crisis 3? yeah they did it was only on the Xbox and it was in space <laughs> okay Yep. So that the cat- I wondered, did it answer the crucial question of what happened to Regina? No, no, it ignores her. It ignores everything from the old games. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the classic, like, uh, sailing franchise. Oh, what do we do? What do we do with, uh, you know, Jason Voorhees? Oh, we'll send him to space. What do we do with the <laughs> leprechaun? Oh, we'll, we'll put him in space. What do we do with Dino Crisis? <laughs> put him in space. And yeah, k- killed off the franchise. Yeah. That would benefit from a, a reboot, wouldn't it? Because the original games had a lot of promise, but they weren't great. You know, or at least the first one. Yeah, but how would you do it? Would you do it in the same vein of um, Resident Evil? Um, because then you just end up with, you know, one oddly paced game followed by a, a heavy action orientated uh you know, kind of a bit off the wall, silly game. I think you'd um, almost have two different. Ser- you'd make two series out of it, wouldn't you? Like there, there's room yeah. in the world for like a really well paced, you know, slow and spooky horror game with dinosaurs, and there's absolutely room in the world for, uh, you know, a balls to the wall action slugfest with dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Where you buy guns with points. Yeah. Well. And I'm not sure if you had anything else in mind, but I was going to, for me, that wraps up the main big heavy hitters. I have a, a short list of uh, kind of also rounds I'd like to run by you just to see if you played them or if you think they count as survival horror as well. Yeah, sure. Right. Did you ever play Fatal Frame? No. Uh, is that the one with the the camera? Yeah. Take yeah. photos of ghosts? Yeah. Very Japanese. You use a camera yeah. to like suck the life out of the ghost. To capture the soul of the ghost. Uh, did you ever play uh, Forbidden Siren? No. It's another very Japanese one. That's one where, like, you're in this village um, and a cult has, like, done some ceremony that has cut the village off from the world. A bit like Silent Hill, but you're surrounded by, like, this sea of blood and everyone's turned into a zombie. It's good. Oh. Um, I had a game called... This was kind of late in the game. Uh, must have been, two, well, 2003 or four. I had a game on the PS2 called Run Like Hell which was a very 80s sci-fi kind of survival horror. It had Lance Hen- Henriksen in it, so it was clearly trying to make you think of aliens. But you're basically, Lance Henriksen is like this kind of rough, tough, uh, deep space. He's like an ex-soldier, but he's working on this sort of, basically he's on a deep space nine kind of a station. Uh, 
and like one of his bit one of his buddies is like this from this alien race that are clearly like klingons and then you get you get invaded by basically xenomorph type creatures is is this because um i remember years ago um you saying here i've got this this game i'm, I'm stuck in it can you come over and, and oh, give me yeah. a hand on it? yeah that's it and i came over and you were being attacked by like uh heads with like spider legs yeah that's right <laughs> yeah and I, they that, they, they that did, pretty yeah cool. it was pretty good it was silly but it was fun and they they did that and it took itself like crazy seriously they did that classic thing where like everywhere the the aliens go they, they infest the ship with this kind of like living bio biological mass that just consumes everything you know so in the game it's like this kind of pink gooey stuff that just like takes so until eventually by the end you're just running through corridors of just like this kind of pulpy pink goo you remember in warcraft the the zerg creep it's called a bit like that yeah uh, in starcraft do they ever do that in the alien films in aliens i suppose they, do the aliens actually change the environment so that they make it into this like hive-like structure? Uh, it happens a bit in aliens, isn't it? Where they cocoon people against the walls and stuff. Yeah, I suppose a bit. And then, you know, there's the alien ship in Alien. Which is kind of organic looking. Yeah. But that's not the Xenos, that's the, the space jockeys. It's a bit different. Oh, uh, yeah. Did you ever play Parasite Eve? Oh. Name sounds familiar. What's that one about? It's like this woman at the beginning. I I saw it when I was a kid, and I was always haunted by the in, intro because it's really <laughs> weird. But then I never got to play it again. Where this woman is a a soprano in an opera in like New York or something, and in the middle of her song, people start catching <sighs> fire in the audience. Yeah, no, I've never played it. It was this on the N sixty four. No, no, no. It was definitely a PS one game. But then oh. it turned. It turns out that the the baddie of the of the game are like mitochondria inside in people's cells that have become sentient and are now trying to like hijack our evolution to turn us into like genetic monsters or something <laughs> which you know props for originality yeah um, definitely yeah I I, I I presume you want to talk about obscure oh definitely because that was a, a minor a minor survival horror from about that time but one that we played through i think you guys finished it didn't you yeah um it was it was one of the more interesting ones in that it was co-op so it made for for a great uh a great co you know game to play it had uh, a pretty good together. premise too didn't it um like the <laughs> see i wouldn't really know because it, it has tons and tons of of uh, documents um littered throughout that explain the story oh, you guys didn't read them never, never once read them i just mean the the so, high school setting like the yeah the you know classic american high school scenario with the, the cool kid and the jock and all that like obviously done to death in films and if you saw it in a film you'd be like yawn but yeah in a horror game i thought that was kind of interesting yeah i know i really like that and you know they all had their own um uh unique abilities then as well so, you know, like the the nerdy character was uh, an investigative journalist. Um, so he'd always know if you'd left something in a room. Right. And uh, and the jock could run. <laughs> <laughs> that was his which, thing. Which was actually really handy. But uh, no, that, that game, they, they hadn't really figured how the, um, the two-player 
thing would work because what you, what you could do is, you know, there, there were all these kind of scripted moments where you'd go and you'd get the thing that you need, you know, the next piece of the statue to open the door. And um, as soon as you do, monsters would jump out. Um, but because it's at the end of a long corridor and you, you only had to go there once, you, you'd um, have one person run over and grab it and then have the other person open the door. To, to get out nice and and that would just warp both of you out of the, the area oh. um so you know you you'd, you'd grab the the key or whatever and then escape without ever having to fight anything <laughs> so yeah it was it was easy to cheese that game am i right in remembering that um the the enemy ultimately was this kind of plant yeah it was some some kind of um uh, genetically engineered plant by some mad professor who uh, was a, you know, a chemistry teacher in the school or something. <laughs> kind of makes me um, think of. Did you ever see that film, The Faculty? Like no. Robert Patrick is in it, I think, and it's like a high school horror film where it turns out like all the teachers are been taken over by alien parasites or something. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sort of late nineties, early noughties, I'd say, if I had. All right. Well, I think I'll move into the final section and we can wrap up. But basically, cool. I wanted to talk mostly about our memories from that era, so late 90s, mostly early noughties. But where, where do you think the genre is now? Does it does it still exist? Have there been any big recent examples? Like I remember when Dead Space came out, all my friends were, were into that. Now I was kind of out of gaming at that point, but if I ever was big into it. But like, does does survival horror still exist? Is it still relevant? Um, well, I think the problem with survival horror is that it is rather niche. So the only people that will still make it are kind of indie developers. Um, it, that was the problem with Dead Space. Dead Space 1 was fantastic. It was very scary, very atmospheric. Um, you know, you're, you're in a kind of janky old ship floating out in space. So... It's, it's constantly making banging noises and stuff like that. And you're never sure if the noise is from one of the creatures, you know, kind of coming down a, a, an air vent or if it was just the, the ship creaking under its own weight. Um, and then the second one, they went for more of a, a like an action um, kind of vibe to it. And it was still very good because it was still quite scary. Um, they made the main character talk and they gave him a bit more personality. Um, but I think around that time, the studio was bought by EA and they said, uh, you know, make it even more action-y and microtransaction the hell out of it. And, oh, and, really? You know, yeah, I suppose money. that would have been the time when all that was kicking off. Yeah. So the game failed to, you know, it was a horror genre game. It wasn't going to sell hundreds of thousands of uh, of units, but it, it underperformed their, their ridiculous expectations. So they closed the studio. Um, and that's, that's kind of what happened to anyone who wasn't a big player like Capcom or Konami. Although Konami just make pachinko machines now. So What? Really? Uh, yeah, they, oh, they, have, they they said they have no interest in making uh, video games anymore. The the creator of um, I know it's a bit off topic, but the creator of um, Castlevania 
actually left because he was sick of not being able to make anything but pinball machines. Uh, I, <laughs> so, I mean, I would too, I hope. Although yeah. I'm sure they're, they are big money in Japan, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chinko. Um, yeah. They're obviously making their money because they, they have no interest in, in video games anymore. Am I, so am I right uh, or wrong in thinking and presuming that like Resident Evil, those games, they were big business, weren't they? In, you know, 1998. And... Absolutely. So, but that's gone now. Is, that's changed. Well, I think the problem is that um, big money back then is chump change now. Right. You know, because they they've they've managed to hit this um, stride where where you've got games like Call of Duty that come out every year, and they have a massive massive audience of uh, relatively casual gamers who will come in, they'll buy the game every year, they'll put down a certain amount of money on microtransactions, they'll play it for you know six or eight months, and then the next one will come out and they'll buy that and repeat the process, and they just you know make money hand over fist and it, it makes the money that you would have made from um, a horror license seem um, irresponsible for your company to, to invest money so wow that's that's why you don't see them anymore so you reckon the the people still doing that are the indies now mostly yeah um, there's I'm, definitely I'm a healthy playing a, yeah I, I'm playing a really really good one at the moment which didn't seem like a horror game when I started it and it was only later on when I was playing um, you know I, I realized that I had built this little base for myself and I was apprehensive about leaving it to go gather resources <laughs> what's that called made me uh, it's called subnautica right and uh, I uh, highly recommend giving it a try I, do, I have but, I have discovered a kind of a subculture of people making deliberately retro horror games online they're usually short kind of 20 30 minute games um there's one there's one guy called puppet combo who makes deliberately makes them in the style of ps1 games and they're all they're all like survival horror games from the like that look like they were made in 1998 but they're all themed after like 80s slasher movies and stuff very interesting stuff ah cool so yeah all, all that stuff has gone very niche and gone very underground i guess You've been listening to Wide Atlantic Weird. This is Kian once again, and I'd like to say a big thanks to our guest, Mr. A. O'Kahan, for coming on the show. Perhaps we'll have him on again. Uh, perhaps we might even talk about some of those indie horror games that we were getting into there at the end of the conversation. Well, it's that time again. This isn't the first podcast you've ever heard, so you know what's coming. I'm going to nag you and ask you to help us out. All you have to do is share the episodes that we put out there any way you can. I don't mind if it's on Facebook or Twitter or anything else. However you interact with the show, please go there and share or retweet or whatever it is you can do to get the episodes out so more people can hear them. And the other thing you can do that really helps, of course, is to review. It's easy. It just takes a moment. We know that you know how to do it. Take a look at whatever app you're using. Uh, give us some lovely stars. Write a little something in the box. I don't even mind if you write something silly or embarrassing or whatnot. It's all good. It all helps us get our name out there. 
Lastly, you can reach out and get in touch with us in most of the usual places. We're still on Facebook, we're on Twitter, also where we are at Strange Ireland, and we're still occasionally active on Instagram, where we are Wide Atlantic Weird Podcast. So you can get in touch with us through any one of those ways. Send us on some stories you might have yourself. If you have fond memories of survival horror games from back in the day, we'd love to know about it. What scared you? What didn't? If anything weird has ever happened to you, we want to know about that as well. So send us on those stories. We, As always, we promise to believe you, but the evidence has to be good. So stay safe and thanks for listening. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You can prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body.